The first item of business is First Minister's questions, and any supplementaries will be taken after question seven, but I would ask that any members press their buttons, request to speak buttons as soon as you can. Question number one, I call Douglas Ross. Thank you very much, Presiding Officer. Does the First Minister agree that the Scottish Government needs to reset its relationship with business? First Minister. Uh, the Scottish Government uh, has a duty to have a good constructive working relationship with all sectors of Scottish society. That very much includes the business community. This has been a really difficult period for the business community. Uh, I personally, and uh, to an even greater extent, my ministers have engaged with business organisations and with different sectors of our economy over the course of the pandi pandemic. But yes, very much I took part in business discussions over uh, the course of the election campaign and absolutely gave the commitment that if there is a need to, whatever language you want to use, reset, restart, make sure we are focusing on all uh, the key issues then. As First Minister, of course, I'm not just uh, willing to do that, I'm very keen to do that. Douglas Ross. Thank you, Presiding Officer, because it's not just myself or the Scottish Conservatives or others that are calling for this reset, it's the Scottish Chamber of Commerce. They said last month that a reset was necessary, but it hasn't happened. Six weeks after it was promised, taxi drivers are still waiting on the second £1,500 payment. Businesses in Glasgow have had uh, their plans upturned at 40 hours' notice. The Federation of Small Businesses called that the latest in the line of miscommunications around unlocking that have had serious consequences. The Scottish Hospitality Group are now warning more businesses will go bust unless they are given more help and that they can't continue with this loss and uncertainty. Yesterday, the First Minister said in this chamber, and I quote, that she would work with the business sector to provide as much clarity and support as possible. So in that spirit, will she set out what specific progress is necessary to ease restrictions in Glasgow? And crucially, what further support will be provided to protect businesses right now? First Minister. Well, firstly, in relation to the Scottish uh, Chambers of Commerce, um, they, as I understand it, were engaged in a call with the Deputy First Minister in his new capacity as overseeing COVID recovery. I think earlier this week I've had a number of uh, calls over the course of the pandemic uh, with them myself, and that engagement will continue. Uh, I understand the frustration of the business community, just as I understand the frustration of every single citizen across the country as we continue to grapple with a global pandemic of an infectious virus. And in the past few weeks, uh, as we were making very good progress, uh, of course, being confronted with another new variant of this virus. Unfortunately, with the best will in the world, I, I cannot take away all of the impacts of a virus of this nature, but we work as hard as we can and we work as closely as we can to give as much uh, notice and detail uh, of our response as possible. But sometimes, I'm afraid, uh, in the interests of health and human life, it is necessary for people in leadership positions like me to take very quick decisions because, as we know from bitter experience over this pandemic, it's often the failure to take quick and firm decisions that leads to loss of life. And anybody who is in any uh, doubt about that uh, only had to listen to a fraction of what Dominic Cummings outlined uh, about what he described as the chaotic response of the UK government at key moments of this pandemic. So I will continue to try to take difficult decisions 
as well as I possibly can. On the specific issues of business support, uh, there is a, a range of different support streams in place for business. They will remain in place for as long as is necessary. Um, and of course, uh, we will continue to uh, discuss with different sectors of the economy uh, what more uh, support we can give. In terms of uh, getting Glasgow back on track, uh, we want to do that as quickly as possible, but that's got to be done responsibly and safely. Um, in terms of today's numbers, I can tell uh, the Chamber that there were 464 positive cases identified yesterday, 1.8% of all uh, tests being positive. Uh, we see a, a reduction in hospital cases today and a, a small reduction in ICU cases. So there are reasons to be optimistic there, but we've got to continue in the interest of business and in the interest of everybody to take careful and cautious decisions to get the whole country back to normality. Douglas Ross. The First Minister answered a question about restrictions in Glasgow and more support for businesses affected there by referencing Dominic Cummings. I'm sure there will be plenty of time from your backbencher scripted questions to answer about Dominic Cummings. I want to focus what is happening in Scotland's largest city and the impact, and the impact that is having on businesses in our communities. Because Glasgow has been under COVID restrictions now for 269 days. 269 days where businesses have been struggling to survive. The Chief Executive of Glasgow Chamber of Commerce, Stuart Patrick, said yesterday that funding grants fall far short. He said 90% of businesses will get less than they were promised. And this is a direct quote from him. The financial support offered bears no relationship to the economic damage now being done by restrictions. So does the First Minister agree with the Chief Executive of the Glasgow Chamber of Commerce. And what will she do to now deliver on the promises she and her government made to those businesses? First Minister. Well, I would say to Douglas Ross that the point I was making in my earlier answer was about the importance of careful, cautious, responsible decision-making in the face of a deadly virus. And I was also pointing out, with reference to some of what we heard yesterday, what the impact and implications can be if a leader does not take careful, cautious and responsible decisions. Uh, and I think most people across the country uh, understand uh, the seriousness of the point that I am making. Why is that uh, relevant and not uh, deflective? Because we are still in the face of uh, this pandemic and it remains important that we take those careful decisions. Um, to Douglas Ross, I know how long uh, the city of Glasgow has been under restrictions because, unlike him, I am a resident of the city of Glasgow. So these restrictions apply to me just as they apply to others. I know how difficult it is for residents and businesses across Glasgow, but I also know how dangerous it would be uh, if we eased restrictions too quickly and allowed uh, a new variant of this virus that we know is spreading, perhaps even more quickly than the variant at the start of the year to take a grip again. That's why there are uh, the public health interventions underway across Glasgow right now, uh, surge testing, accelerated vaccination. I said earlier in the week uh, we see cautious signs for optimism that that is working um, and we will continue to monitor that very carefully. And yes, we will continue to discuss with businesses how uh, in the face of this difficult situation we support 
them to the best of our ability um, and to the best of the resources we have at our disposal. Uh, but however frustrating I know it is for business, the worst thing somebody in my position could do for businesses and for individuals is to act in a way that allowed this virus to take over again, uh, because that would lead to more businesses being closed and it would lead to more lives being lost. Uh, so we need to continue to steer a careful course through this. And difficult though I know this is for everyone, that is what I will seek to do. Douglas Ross. The Minister does know Glasgow. She answered her question about knowing the numbers of Glasgow, but she completely ignored the point from the Glasgow Chambers of Commerce, yeah, their chief yeah. executive, who is saying 90% of businesses will get less than was promised by the First Minister and the Scottish Government. So this government's approach to business does need a reset. But more than that, it needs a complete overhaul. Businesses don't see anyone around the Scottish Government table who's fighting their corner. Even one of the First Minister's own economic advisers has said that her government is anti-business. But in, one of the First Minister's own advisers. But instead of business people who understand how to create jobs, it's the Greens who might get a seat around the First Minister's table. A Green Party that doesn't even believe in economic growth. A Green Party that ignores business unless they want to celebrate a high-end bar in George Street. And a Green Party that wants to risk the entire oil and gas industry and the tens of thousands of jobs it supports. This government... This SNP government does need to reset its relationship with business. Does the First Minister honestly believe a coalition with the Greens is the way to do that? First Minister. Um, I think most people across the country, and actually uh, most responsible businesses that I speak to um, and have interaction with, know that yes, it is important to support a strong, vibrant, sustainable economy. But it is also vital, uh, in fact, it is a moral imperative to do that in a way uh, that meets our obligations to the planet and delivers our climate change targets. And from that last question, I'm not sure that the climate is particularly high up the agenda uh, of Douglas Ross. So we will continue to make sure uh, that we support uh, industry, that we support the economy, but that we also support the country to move to net zero, which is a key priority and should be a key priority key priority for all of us. In terms of the uh, questions about uh, the Glasgow business community, uh, the Glasgow Chambers of Commerce, uh, I believe Stuart Patrick himself was in a call with uh, the Deputy First Minister and the Finance and Economy Secretary on Tuesday of this week. I'm sure the issues that have been raised, I would expect and assume the issues that have been raised here today were raised on that call uh, and the Scottish Government will be taking uh, them seriously and working with the business community to address them. Uh, that's how we operate as a government. Uh, we are always looking for ways in which we can improve engagement and responsiveness, and we will continue to do that. But I come back to the central point here, presiding officer. This country, like much of the world right now, is in the grip of a global pandemic. It has taken too many lives already, um, and it has the capacity and potential if we don't get the decisions right to take more lives in future. This is very difficult for everybody, businesses and individuals. My responsibility, um, and I'm not complaining about this, it's what I'm elected to do, my responsibility is to try to take those difficult decisions in the best way possible to get the country through this as safely as possible. And that's a responsibility I will continue to treat with the utmost seriousness. Question number two, Anna Sarwar. Presiding officer, in November 2019, I shared damning evidence from senior clinicians that contaminated water at the Queen Elizabeth University Hospital had led to the death of at least one child cancer patient and that the family had not been informed. Millie Main's mum, Kimberly, had to learn the true cause of her daughter's death in the newspaper and join the dots. That is unforgivable. 
The evidence I shared back then warned that there may have been a second child and that their parents too may not know the truth. A case note review in March confirmed over 30 infections in children and two children's deaths due to waterborne infections. The First Minister promised then that all the families affected would be told within weeks, but this morning it has been confirmed that one family has not been informed and it is feared that this is the family of the second child who tragically died. Can I ask the First Minister, when the first attempt was made to contact this family, how many attempts have been made and why this family does not yet know the truth? First Minister. Well, can I uh, firstly yet again uh, take the opportunity to extend my, extend my deepest sympathies to the families of patients who uh, died and indeed to everyone who was affected as a result of the issues at uh, the Queen Elizabeth Hospital. It would, of course, not be appropriate for me to comment on any individual's care, but I will seek to answer the question uh, as best I can in general terms. Uh, the expert panel has provided individual reports to the families of patients, including in the case note review and offered to discuss individual findings with them. Um, I understand that the review team has managed to can contact all families with the exception of one family. Uh, one family, regrettably, and despite extensive efforts by the team and by NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde, uh, has not been uh, able to be contacted. Um, any family, though, who wishes to get in touch with the independent case note review team is able to email at the following address, nss.casenotereview at nhs.scot. Um, I'm happy to seek to provide later on the specific answers of when the first attempted contact was made and how many attempts have been made. But I have had an assurance that there have been rigorous attempts made to contact uh, the one remaining family uh, that there has not been contact with. And unfortunately and regrettably, it has not been possible to contact uh, them. And I know uh, that Greater Glasgow and Clyde uh, will continue to take all reasonable and appropriate steps uh, to locate that family. Anna Sarwar. I'm sorry, First Minister, but that's not good enough. Uh, and the reason why it's not good enough is because the key question is when that first attempt was made. I raised this case in November 2019. The case note review shouldn't be the ones that were trying to inform that family because senior clinicians actually informed the health board about the death of two children months earlier, in July 2019. And Scotland's duty of candour law means that families should have been informed as soon as the health board became aware. That means that the family should have been informed at least 18 months ago, not contacted for the first time just a few weeks ago. You have broken that law. So just to be clear, two children died in Scotland's flagship hospital due to a waterborne infection. One family had to find out by fighting the health board, and the other family may not even know. With all due respect, handing out an email address isn't good enough. One family still does not know. This is the biggest scandal of the devolution era. So will the First Minister take personal responsibility that this family will be found and told the truth about what happened to their child? First Minister. Um, this is a, a matter of the utmost seriousness, and it is because of that uh, that I think it's really important uh, to be clear. Uh, there was a case note review undertaken. That case note review looked at uh, 118 episodes uh, of serious bacterial infection in 84 uh, children. Uh, 
all of the families of those children, with one exception, uh, have been contacted. The information from the case note review uh, shared with them, and I'm sure a number of questions uh, have been asked. Uh, there is one family uh, that uh, various attempts, serious attempts have been made to contact, and it has not proved possible uh, to contact them. Now, I, I think that is deeply regrettable, but in a situation where uh, 83 out of 84 have been contacted, I would simply say to Anna Sarwar uh, that uh, I think it is reasonable to conclude that it is not because the Health Board does not want to contact the family, it is that those attempts have not so far proved possible. So to characterise this as me simply handing out an email address, uh, I think is unfair. Uh, this is about uh, an inability to make contact with a family. Um, I certainly uh, will seek uh, to provide further information about the number of attempts that have been made when the first attempt was made, um, and I will certainly uh, be ensuring that the Health Board is doing everything that is reasonably possible to locate this family. Uh, but as I understand it, this is a case of attempts having been made um, and have not, uh, they have not proven it uh, possible in terms of locating the family. I think everybody involved in this wants that family to be located so that information can be shared and any questions uh, can be answered. Uh, but I repeat again, all of the families, uh, with one exception, have been contacted. I think it's important that any further reasonable attempts to contact the remaining family do continue. Anna Sarwa. I think the First Minister misses the fundamental point. Is the case note review happened as a result of families fighting with the health board to get that review, which happened in 2019. This child died in 2017. Clinicians highlighted this case to health board officials in 2017, in 2017 and then in 2019. Why did we wait till now, this year, to try and find that family? It's one thing breaking the law when it comes to a treatment waiting time. It's another thing breaking the law when it comes to telling a family the truth about how their child died. This scandal involved denials, bullying of clinicians, cover-ups and parents of sick children being blamed for their illnesses. Clinicians have been raising the alarm for years. The result of inaction is tens of children getting infections and tragically two children dying. But inexplicably, there are still families fighting for truth and justice. This case proves that the response from the First Minister has not been good enough. She was, first, she was Health Secretary when this, health board, uh, sorry, this hospital was commissioned. She was First Minister when it opened, despite an independent review finding that the water supply was not safe. But the only people that have paid the price for this scandal have been the families and the whistleblowers. Year on, years on, why has no one taken responsibility? Why have there been no consequences? Why are families still having to fight for the truth? Who is going to be held accountable? First Minister. In all of these uh, very serious points that Anna Sarwar raises, there is one important fact that he omits to raise, that this government has established a full independent public inquiry. That public inquiry is underway and is still to do its work and to report. Um, well, Anna Sarwar is saying we can't wait for that 
It is really important. He called for a public inquiry. We have established a public inquiry. In the lead-up to that public inquiry, there has been an independent review. Uh, there has been a report from the oversight uh, board that was established, and there has now been uh, the case note review process, which has produced an overview report and has also uh, produced, of course, the individual uh, case reviews for each of the affected uh, children and families. So, what I am uh, not uh, disputing, because nobody could or should, is that this is an incredibly serious matter. What I am disputing is that the government is not taking this seriously and that the government is not determined uh, through ultimately the full independent public inquiry to get to the bottom of everything that happened from the opening of the hospital uh, right through to now to make sure that families have the answers to the questions that they need. Um, and that is a process that will continue until we feel that we have got uh, to the point where all questions that can be answered have been answered. So I think it is uh, a, a real omission uh, to say all of the things Anna Sarwa has rightly said, uh, but to leave out the fact of the full independent public inquiry that is already underway. Um, and I, uh, finally, just to come back to the one family that hasn't been contacted, um, that is regrettable, but I want to stress that is not because there have not been attempts to contact that family um, and the Health Board will continue to take steps to contact that family as they have already uh, contacted the other families involved. Question number three, Patrick Harvey. The UK Home Secretary has declared that immigration dawn raids in Glasgow are what the British public voted for. I expect the First Minister will agree that Scotland did not vote for this. The Conservatives were rejected at the ballot box in Glasgow and across Scotland, and this month we witnessed the people of Glasgow taking direct action to protect their neighbours from the actions of an institutionally racist Home Office. Immigration and asylum are reserved to the UK Government, but there is no doubt more that we can be doing here in Scotland. Is the First Minister aware of the Freedom to Crawl campaign being launched today by the Roof Coalition, including Shelter and other charities and grassroots organisations, drawing attention to the abysmal standard of accommodation provided by Mears on behalf of the Home Office for asylum seekers who are pregnant or who have babies and toddlers? Does she agree that the rights set out in the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child are being breached? And what will she do to challenge the UK Government on its failings towards some of the most vulnerable people in our communities. First Minister. I have not seen the detail of the campaign that Patrick Harvey refers to, but I will, of course, look at that. Um, I have uh, profound and fundamental objections, uh, both uh, to the, the principles underpinning the UK government's system of immigration and asylum, but also many of the, the practical aspects of that, not least uh, the provision of inadequate accommodation for asylum seekers in the city of Glasgow. And this government uh, has, on many, many occasions, uh, raised these concerns directly with the Home Office, have often been met uh, with indifference uh, to those concerns, uh, but we will continue uh, to raise those. Uh, the provision of accommodation uh, for anyone is a, a, an important uh, right, but particularly where children are concerned. Obviously, this uh, Parliament, uh, just before the election, uh, took a, a decision, a unanimous decision to incorporate the United Nations Convention uh, on the Rights of the Child into domestic law. That is something that is being challenged uh, in court by the UK government. Uh, and this actually brings into sharp focus 
perhaps why uh, the UK government is seeking uh, to challenge this, because they don't want uh, the decisions they're taking over things like immigration to be subject to that kind of uh, legal protection and scrutiny. But in my view, that's exactly why we need uh, the UN Convention to apply to everything that happens in Scotland, because the rights of a child matter, whether that child was born uh, here in Scotland or is the child of an asylum seeker. They are a child living in Scotland and they should all have the same rights. Patrick Harvey. The, the campaign was only launched today, but just so that the, the First Minister and everybody here is aware of the concerns being raised about the accommodation for, for mothers and babies in Glasgow, the, the, the campaign says that the rooms are cramped and inadequately furnished, that there is virtually no floor space within the rooms for children to play or move around safely. Uh, that there are multiple safety issues with the living, cooking and sleeping areas, that there is no respect for privacy and that alleged infractions against the rules are posted publicly, humiliating the mothers. They say that all of this breaches the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, the Health and Care Standards and the current Care Inspectorate Space Standards. The Scottish Greens have long argued that responsibility for uh, housing asylum seekers should lie with local authorities who are much better placed and frankly more inclined to provide appropriate accommodation than the institutionally racist Home Office. And in the Smith Commission, the UK government and every political party committed to discussions on powers coming to Scotland uh, on housing, uh, asylum housing and support services. Those discussions have still not taken place more than six years later. So will the Scottish government put this issue on the agenda for the next joint ministerial committee? and work with Glasgow City Council and charities to develop a public sector bid for these services so that Scotland can provide them to a standard that we can be proud of instead of allowing this shameful situation to continue. First Minister. Well, firstly, yes, we will seek to put it on the agenda for the next joint ministerial committee, but since these don't exactly take place uh, frequently, um, I think it's important that we continue to take it up in other ways as well. Uh, Patrick Harvey is right about the Smith Commission. Uh, discussions to devolve more powers uh, to this Parliament in the area of immigration uh, haven't progressed, but then we have a UK Tory government that is more interested in taking powers away from this Parliament, not bringing powers to this Parliament. Um, and that is a reality. I know it's an uncomfortable reality for Mr Ross, but it is a reality nevertheless. Um, I'm sorry if it wasn't uh, Mr Ross that shouted rubbish, if it was one of his colleagues. But anyway, it is a, a fact uh, that this UK government seems more interested in taking powers away. But these issues that are important issues, because they are about fundamental human rights uh, and fundamental human uh, dignity. Um, and they bring into sharp focus uh, why these powers should lie with this parliament. Because actually, uh, notwithstanding the many differences we have across this chamber, I do believe, um, I really do believe that this parliament would take a much more humane uh, approach to immigration and asylum. I believe we would respond more positively to the demographic challenges that we face and therefore the need to attract more people to live and work in Scotland. Uh, so it's a good example of why we need to see these powers lie with this Parliament and the sooner, uh, as with so many other things, we can get these powers out of the hands of a Tory Westminster government, the better for everyone. Question number four, Jim Fairley. Uh, congratulations, President Officer, on your new role. I look forward to working with you and engaging with you over the coming years. I'd like to ask the First Minister what dialogue the Scottish Government has had with the UK Government on the potentially damaging tariff and quota-free trade deal that has been proposed by the UK and Australian Governments. 
First Minister. Uh, can I firstly take the opportunity to welcome Jim Fairley uh, to Parliament. It makes that uh, afternoon in Letham in the torrential rain uh, all the more worth it to see him uh, in his place in this chamber. Um, the Cabinet Secretary for Rural Affairs and the Minister for uh, Business uh, met UK Government Ministers on the uh, 25th and 26th of May uh, to reiterate our concerns about the devastating impact that the UK Government proposed deal could have on our farming communities. Uh, that followed an earlier letter from the uh, Rural Affairs Secretary to the UK Trade Secretary on 19th of May, but the UK Government seems determined uh, to shut the Scottish Government out of this decision-making process just as it has ignored our interests throughout the Brexit process. Uh, we are extremely concerned that, yet again, a crucial decision affecting Scotland's future is being taken by this Tory government, not just against the wishes of people who live here, but fundamentally against the interests of people who live here. Jim Fairley. Uh, I'd like to thank the First Minister for that answer. And yesterday, you gave multiple opportunities for the opposition parties to work with the Scottish Government in supporting the people of Scotland. So does the First Minister share the concerns of the President of the National Farmers Union of Scotland, who is in uh, John Swinney's uh, constituency, who said, and I quote, we were promised that any future deal wouldn't undermine Scottish and UK farmers with any deal. We would feel betrayed if that were to happen. Now, Douglas Ross actually wrote to all the farmers in my constituency four days after my nomination telling them that he was going to be the farmer's champion here in Scotland. And I'm just wondering if this is going to be one of those red lines he's going to gaily skip over like a newborn calf. So would the First Minister agree with me if this will be a total betrayal of Scotland's farmers as it has been by the fishermen? First Minister. D D Douglas Ross seems intent on telling Jim Fairley, for some reason, uh, best known to him, that he's a lamb, not a calf. But I think the general point... <laughs> The general point stands uh, that, that nobody on the Tory benches seems willing to stand up for the interests of Scottish farmers. Uh, this is a Tory, a Tory party, of course, that has already betrayed Scotland's fishing communities uh, and it now seems uh, to be about to betray uh, Scotland's farming communities. Uh, what we must see is that any imports of Australian agri-food should be produced to equivalent standards uh, of Scottish production. Imports must be controlled by tariff rate quotas. Anything short of that, short of course of what the Tories promised, will be a betrayal of our farmers uh, and will be deeply damaging to the Scottish economy. So we hear a lot of rhetoric from the Conservatives about standing up for Scottish business. We've heard it again today. Perhaps it's about time they actually stood up for our farming community um, and told uh, their bosses in the UK government that what is proposed is simply not acceptable. Question number five, Megan Gallagher. Thank you, Presiding Officer, and congratulations on your new role. To ask the First Minister whether the Scottish Government plans to implement a national moratorium on incinerators, such as the proposal at Overwood Farm site near Stonehouse, in light of the reported detrimental impact that incinerators could have on Scotland's bid to tackle the climate emergency. First Minister. 
Uh, can I uh, welcome Megan Gallagher uh, to Parliament as well? Um, our commitment is to transition to net zero by 2045 and to help do this, uh, building a circular economy and reducing recycling and uh, re, uh, reducing recycling and reusing uh, resources is vital. Um, so, with this uh, and our climate change targets in mind, uh, my party stood on a commitment in the election to review the role that incineration plays in Scotland's waste system. We will update Parliament on plans for this uh, as soon as possible. And I know this is something that, in their constituency capacities, my colleagues Christina McKelvey and Mary McAllen have also been pushing for. It is worth noting, though, that in 2019, the whole-life carbon impact of Scotland's household waste reached its lowest level since official recording began. And we are fully committed to further accelerating progress by ending the practice of sending biodegradable municipal waste to landfill by 2025. Megan Gallagher. I thank the First Minister for her answer and I would like to refer to my register of interest as I am a councillor in North Lanarkshire. Residents of Stonehouse and the surrounding areas feel let down as this is the second time they have had to fight against a proposed incinerator being built in their area. What will the Scottish Government do to reassure my constituents that, should South Lanarkshire Council oppose this planning application, the Scottish Government won't overrule this local decision if it were to be brought before the Scottish Government reporter? First Minister. Um, I, I'm sure Megan Gallagher, as a councillor, knows that if I was to uh, answer that question, that in any way preempted or prejudged any planning decisions that may ultimately come to the Scottish ministers, um, then that would not be helpful for any of the interests uh, concerned. Uh, fundamentally and initially, of course, it is a matter for the local council, but then there are robust, rightly robust, statutory processes in place uh, for any applications that come to ministers, and it's really important that ministers uh, don't prejudge any of that. I understand. Uh, the concerns that are raised in general here, which is why uh, what I said in my initial answer is important. There is time, uh, and this government is committed to doing it, to uh, review the role that incineration plays in uh, our overall waste system. But it's also important to recognise the progress uh, that we have made in reducing the whole life carbon impact of household waste, uh, and also look at the variety of things that we need to do to continue that. But I'm sure uh, the uh, application, if there is an application uh, in this case, will be uh, treated and dealt with in all of the appropriate uh, processes. Question number six, Alex Rowley. Thank you, President Officer. To ask the First Minister what action the Scottish Government plans to take to support teachers with the challenges they face in light of the reported concerns from teaching unions that there is a culture of fear and anxiety across Scottish education. First Minister. Well, in the past year, teachers have uh, done an extraordinary uh, job in the most challenging of circumstances. They have uh, refocused their work to support pupils in a range of different ways. Uh, we recognise the pressure on schools and want all teachers uh, at all times to work in a safe, uh, positive, respectful and supportive environment. Uh, we've already committed over £400 million to education recovery, introduced a support package for schools, including uh, a very important focus on mental health support for staff, in addition to existing guidance guidance for local authorities and schools to manage behaviour and we will continue to put the health and wellbeing of both pupils and staff at the forefront of recovery plans. And we look forward to continuing to working constructively with stakeholders to ensure uh, that everybody nurtures an environment in our schools that has at its core the highest quality of learning and teaching. Alex Rowley. I thank the First Minister for that, for that answer. I am sure she, like me, is very worried that the NASUWT has said this week that violence and abuse of teachers is becoming normalised. 
They also revealed that a union survey found 53% of teachers considered leaving the profession in the last year feeling demoralised, unsupported and unrecognised. Does the government recognise these concerns? Do you accept that amongst the actions that must be taken, there must be a year-on-year -year substantial increase in school budgets and that we also need to see significant increases in teacher numbers and teaching assistance across the school estate? First Minister. Um, first, just on spending, education spending has uh, risen, I think, in every single one of the last four years, um, and there has uh, been significant additional resource uh, provided to local authorities uh, in the face of COVID, um, and that, of course, is supporting a range of activities, including uh, additional teachers in our schools. Um, of course, I recognise the concerns of teachers and, and so many others uh, after what has been uh, the most difficult, challenging, uh, bruising in many respects of, of years, uh, as we have all in different ways had to cope with the implications of COVID. And it's really important that we both understand, listen to that and respond in a, a variety of different ways. No teacher should have to suffer verbal or physical abuse in school and nobody uh, should ever accept violence becoming normalised in our schools. And I'm sure the Education Secretary uh, will be uh, more than happy to discuss these concerns in more detail. Uh, with the, the trade union uh, concerned. Uh, it is really important that we support teachers in a range of different ways uh, and we are doing that and we will continue to talk to uh, teaching unions about what more can be done to support teachers as they do the very important job they perform on behalf of all of us. Question number seven, Liam MacArthur. Thanks very much, President Officer. To ask the First Minister what plans the Scottish Government has to reform the roles of the Lord Advocate and the Crown, Offer, uh, Crown Office and Procurator Fiscal Service in light of the resignations of the Lord Advocate and the Solicitor General. First Minister. Uh, can I uh, firstly and briefly take the opportunity, Presiding Officer, to put on record uh, my deep gratitude uh, to both the Lord Advocate and the Solicitor General for their extremely distinguished service over the past five years. I'm sure I'll have more to say um, about that uh, over the next day and weeks, uh, but I want to record my appreciation and gratitude and respect for both of them. Uh, the Government will put nominations for new law officers to Parliament for approval shortly. Uh, of course, until then, the current law officers remain in office. Uh, as we said in our manifesto, the Government intends to publish a consultation on the dual functions of the law officers, and we will do that in due course. It is, of course, vital that both the systems of criminal prosecution and investigation of deaths and the role of the law officers in government continue to enjoy the full confidence of the public and indeed I believe they do. William MacArthur. Uh, thank you. Can I also pay tribute to James Wolfe and uh, Alison Dorolo um, for their service but also for their willingness to engage particularly with those of us who have sat on the Justice Committee. But reform is needed and the First Minister has the power uh, to deliver change. The role of the Lord Advocate needs split to end the conflicts of interest including appointing a Director of prosecutions. Fatal accident inquiries must be removed from the Crown Office as families are still waiting too long. It's a scandal that we still don't know the circumstances surrounding the death of Lamara Bell and James Yule on the M9 six years ago. And after the landmark vote in this Parliament in March, we need change to ensure that those in the grip of drugs are diverted to treatment rather than to prosecution and imprisonment. In hiring new law officers, therefore, will the First Minister commit to those much-needed reforms? First Minister. Well, let me make a, a number of points. I hope 
they are helpful because I, I genuinely hope, because I think this is necessary given uh, a potential reform of this nature, that there is widespread consensus on uh, the eventual path that we take. Firstly, though, it's really important to recognise, as I'm sure everybody in this chamber does, that the dual uh, role of the law officers is not new. It's not something that was created under uh, an SNP administration. It has been uh, that way since the dawn of devolution. So uh, under previous governments, there was that dual role. Um, secondly, I think there is a case for reform, but I, and which is why my manifesto committed uh, to a consultation on that. Uh, but I think it's really important that we take the time to get that right. Um, just listening to Liam MacArthur there, one thing came to mind that will be something this Parliament in in the course of a consultation, will want to consider. Uh, the, because of the dual role of law officers, law officers uh, can be called to this parliament to answer questions and all of the issues uh, that perhaps fall within the prosecutorial function of the law officers, uh, they can be questioned in this chamber. If we separate those roles, uh, then that may not be possible uh, in future to do that in the same way. Now, that may be something parliament is comfortable with, but it is just one example uh, of the need to take care over this and to make sure that we get it right and that we try to uh, move forward uh, on the basis of as much consensus and proper consideration as possible. So these are really serious issues and I hope all members, uh, including Liam MacArthur, uh, will engage in them seriously uh, over the course of any consultation that comes. Thank you. We'll now move on to supplementaries. I'd be grateful for succinct questions and responses. And I call John Mason to be followed by Liam Kerr. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I think the First Minister will be aware of Pladis McVitie's plan to close their factory in Tollcross in my constituency with the potential loss of over 450 jobs. Can the First Minister uh, reassure these staff uh, and myself and my constituents that the Scottish Government, Scottish Enterprise will do all they can to persuade Pladis to remain in Glasgow? First Minister. Well, can I thank John Mason for raising uh, an extremely important issue. I, uh, like many others uh, in Glasgow and beyond, uh, was deeply concerned uh, to learn that Pladis had entered into consultation with its Tollcross workforce. That is a, a bitter blow to the company's staff uh, who have been so loyal to that company over uh, such a long period of time and indeed a big blow to the local area given the importance uh, of the McVitie's factory uh, to Tollcross. Uh, we will do everything we can. Uh, by we, I mean the Scottish Government and Scottish Enterprise, and I know Glasgow City Council uh, has that commitment too. Uh, we have uh, put together an action group, uh, which is co-chaired uh, by the Economy Secretary and by the Leader of the Council, uh, Susan Aitken. Membership of the action group includes Trade Unions, Scottish Enterprise, Clyde Gateway and Skills Development Scotland. Uh, the group met yesterday um, and it will pursue every opportunity to secure the long-term future of the Tollcross site and the associated jobs. But this does require a willingness from Pladis to engage in that process. And let me uh, be very clear here in Parliament today uh, that I am calling on Pladis to do that uh, and to engage constructively in the interests of their workforce. Uh, the Cabinet Secretary for the Economy is also writing to the UK Business Secretary, uh, making him aware of the situation and of the ongoing work of the Action Group. Liam Kerr to be followed by Colin Smith. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Recent reports and representations to me by Aberdeen Airport suggest passengers returning to Scotland from abroad may have to pay more than twice as much for COVID tests than those returning to England. Now, that will price many people in the North East out of travelling. It will hinder the ability for Scottish airports to re-establish con connectivity and potentially pushes passengers to travel to and from English airports. So can the First Minister offer any comfort to the industry and hard-pressed passengers by committing to review the guidelines 
and introduce a more equal testing system? First Minister. Uh, we will, of course, and I will give an undertaking to look at it as an issue uh, that uh, was raised with me, I think, earlier uh, this week. Um, my understanding, and I will be corrected if I'm getting any of the detail of this as pertains to England wrong, uh, but in summary, the difference is uh, we require all tests in Scotland to be uh, NHS tests, where in England uh, many of the tests are outsourced to private companies. So one of the reassurances I suppose I can give is around quality, because we do believe uh, that the NHS provides that quality assurance. So I am not sure, um, to be blunt, that going down the same route uh, as England on this is the right thing to do. But of course we will uh, review that and uh, give these points consideration. More generally, I don't want, nobody wants the requirement uh, for testing and quarantine to be in place any longer than is necessary. But these uh, are protections that are important right now. Uh, Everybody knows the frustration I have uh, about uh, what I would describe as uh, the lack of robustness in terms of UK uh, border control uh, in the past. Uh, but these are important protections to try to do everything we can to minimise the risk of importation of the virus. And that's why it is important that everybody uh, abides by uh, the requirements for testing and quarantine if they are coming into the country. Colin Smith to be followed by Rona Mackay. Thank you, President Officer. The First Minister will be aware that the world's first savings bank was established by the Reverend Henry Duncan in the village of Ruthall in Dumfrieshire in 1810. The very building that housed the bank is today home to the Savings Bank Museum, but the owners of the TSB have just announced plans to close the museum, remove the historic artefacts from the community and place them in their head office in Edinburgh. Can I ask the First Minister to consider whether the government would make representations to the TSB, ask them to put these closure plans on hold and work with the local community to find a way to retain this important part of our nation's history where it belongs in the village of Ruthall. First Minister. Uh, well, I think in the interest of fairness, I, I should say that Oliver Mundell just raised this issue with me uh, in advance of First Minister's questions and indicated that he, uh, as a I think constituency member there, was uh, intending to raise it. So thank you to, to him for that and to Colin Smith uh, for raising this today. It is not an issue, uh, I have to say, that I am aware of all of the detail around, but given that it has been raised with me uh, by two members today, I will certainly look at the circumstances uh, and, yes, absolutely consider if the Scottish Government can make representations Presentations, uh, to retain a, a museum that certainly sounds to me as if it's a valued part of the local community uh, and something that should be treasured uh, in terms of the history and indeed uh, the ability of future generations to learn all that it has to offer. So I will look at it and uh, come back to both members in due course. Rona Mackay to be followed by Murdo Fraser. Thank you, Presiding Officer. The Children's Commissioner said the UK Government's two-child limit is a clear breach of children's rights, and dropping the universal credit uplift will effectively knock out the benefits that the Scottish Child Payment brings, into, brings to families. Does the First Minister think that the UK Government should focus on strengthening children's rights rather than continually undermining these efforts? First Minister. Uh, yes, I do. I, I think that is a really important point. Um, and actually, this issue shows, uh, I think quite starkly, the difference between our two governments and our two parliaments. Uh, this government and this parliament is focused on tackling poverty through significant investments, including the £100 million to support families uh, through the pandemic payments, uh, £50 million for universal free school meals expansion, and of course the introduction of the Scottish Child Payment, which we are committed to doubling. 
Uh, by contrast, the UK Government penalises families through the two-child limit, cutting uh, £500 million from low-income families in Scotland alone, the benefit cap, the plan to remove the universal credit uplift. Uh, this Government, with the unanimous backing of Parliament, has strengthened children's rights by enshrining them in law, yet the UK Government wants to take us to court over that. So again, this illustrates why we need more powers out of the hands of the Tory Government at Westminster and into the hands of this Government and this Parliament. And Murdo Fraser. Uh, thank you, Presiding Officer. Communities in Perthshire and across the Highlands have for years campaigned for the A9 trunk road to be made up to a dual carriageway between Perth and Inverness, and it's good to see uh, works progressing on one stretch at the moment. However, concerns have already been raised that this vital road safety project could be jeopardised by any deal struck between the SNP Government and the Green Party. So can the First Minister assure us that that will not be the case? First Minister? I think when Murdo Fraser says concerns have already been raised, what he really means is he's desperately trying to stir up uh, any concerns uh, of that <laughs> description. And he should know by now the two things uh, are not really the same. This government's commitment to the A9 uh, is clear, uh, and this government's commitment to the A9 continues. That concludes First Minister's questions, and I suspend this meeting until 2pm. Thank you.